Give it up for Mark. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming. Uh, it's nice to do a session and people actually show up, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Didn't know what was going to happen here, so that's awesome. So uh, just so I know, it helps me a little bit. How many of you are on staff at a church somewhere? Can you raise your hand just so I know? And how many of you are lead pastors at a church? Raise your hands. Cool. Any volunteers in the house? Just Yeah, give it up for the volunteers. That's great. Cool. All right, that's great just for me to be able to kind of understand that. So, so I'll just say this. This is like knowing that we got a lot of pastors and specifically quite a number of lead pastors in here. Uh, this is like preaching about marriage a little bit to me. Um, if you've ever had to preach on marriage with your wife sitting on the front row, you know what I'm talking about? Because you sit there and you talk about stuff and you're just like, oh man, I don't get this perfect all the time and my wife can vouch for all these kind of things. So, uh, so I'm going to talk about you know church stuff and all that and uh, we don't get all this perfect. Okay, so don't get up here and think, oh man, this guy's got all his stuff together. You know, we don't do this all perfect, but I'm going to hopefully be able to share a number of the things that we've learned. I've got a, a kind of long experience, both my wife and I, a long experience in ministry, and we've had a lot of things that we've been able to see, and hopefully we can just kind of empty our cups a little bit into your lives, and hopefully you can take some things away uh, this afternoon. So I, uh, I titled this Magnetic Church, and if, you, if people need to come in, feel free to come up further if you want to. Um, I entitled this Magnetic Church, and uh, I don't think that's just a cute title, uh, although it is. I think, honestly, my belief is that's what a church should be. Like, the church is, should be magnetic. And not because we're cool and we're, you know, can figure things out and do amazing things, but I think there's a few reasons. Number one is that, that the promise that we see from Jesus. What did Jesus say? I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like, that was his promise. He is building his church. And he's been building his church for 2,000 years, and he's going to continue to build his church until one day he returns. And so I think there's a confidence that we can have that our church should be magnetic. There should be a life here. There should be something that's going on that isn't because we're amazing and we figured something out, but because there's a confidence that our God is doing a work in the world that we get to be a part of. And so there should be a confidence that we have, okay? Uh, but the second reason is I think we get the picture multiple times in Scripture that should inspire us. Number one, we get the picture of Jesus. When Jesus walked around, what happened? He was magnetic. Everywhere he went, there was just this sense of people wanting to come be a part of it. Now, he sometimes called people to another level and kind of thinned the herd a little bit. But there was this sense of there's something about him that drew people to himself. But then we also get the picture, we all know this, Acts chapter 2, right? You know, they're, they're this beautiful picture of what the church should look like when they're loving each other, they're caring for each other. And we know the end of that little section, chapter 2, where it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a picture of this magnetic community that's making a difference and that, that God's doing something really cool. And so I think for those reasons, we should have an expectation that the church should be magnetic. Um, but I think there's a problem. And what's the problem? A lot of times it's us. <laughs> like We're the problems. We're the one that gets in the way sometimes. God wants to do stuff. He wants to build his church. And a lot of times we do things that kind of can get in the way. Sometimes we add things that actually frustrate and, and keep people away from us. And then at the same time, I think there are some times where we eliminate or we delete things that people desperately crave and they desperately need. We ignore the things that people actually are wanting and what God is calling us to. And we get fixated on our ideas, our ministry plans, you know, the, the programs that we want to establish. And so for that reason, kind of what we want to look at this morning is how do we set the church free to be the magnetic church it was intended to be? That's what I'm going to talk about. How do we get rid of some of the barriers? How do we focus on some of the, the core things that can help us build the kind of church that God wants us to be in? So here's where our starting point's going to be. 
I'm going to assume, hey, there's a table up here. I can back this way if people want to come over here. I'm going to hit timeout. Anybody want to come over here and hang out? You get to be front. <laughs> we'll make space for you. And if anybody needs to move while it's going on, feel free to move. Not a big deal. Okay. So I'm going to assume some stuff about you, and, the, and then we're going to move on. Okay. I'm going to assume you all love Jesus. Okay. I'm going to assume that you all believe in the power of prayer. Okay. And then no matter what you try and figure out, if you're not men and women of prayer, it's pointless. Okay. Like for me, that was a, that was a conviction that God gave me when we stepped into the church that we're at right now. And so I start every day in the sanctuary for an hour praying. That's what I'm going to do because I'm committed to saying like, God, at the end of the day, it's not what we can do. It's what you're going to do. So I'm going to assume that about you. Okay. So I don't have to convince you. You need to pray. I'm going to assume that you want to hear from God and you want to be obedient about what he is asking of you. So I'm going to assume that. And I'm also going to assume that you have a passion to see lost people found. Just going to make those assumptions about you. Okay. So I don't need to convince you about that. All that stuff is necessary. So assuming that, um, we're going to look at two areas uh, that I think produce a magnetic church. And uh, we're going to talk about culture, and we're talking about your ministry focus, okay? Culture, your ministry focus. And I love this because I was able to hear from our, our guest that spoke on, on Thursday night, Mike, and he, uh, he talked a little bit. He wrote a book about culture. And we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about some of those things. And I hope to be able to give you some practical stuff. Um, but I love that. And if we have any time left over, I know we're running a little late already. Um, if we have any time, I'm going to talk about some, some digital things, some social media type things, uh, just as a bonus. But uh, that's a starting point. Can we pray together as we start? God, just pray over the next few moments that, um, that I don't try to impress anyone, uh, but that we all try to learn and hear what you're saying to us. And God, there's things that hopefully can be gleaned from our experience, but at the end of the day, I pray every single person here would take hold of what you're calling them to, and they'd walk in obedience to that, God. I just pray that in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So before we dig into some of the details, I don't know about you, but it's helpful for me to know the story of somebody that I'm listening to talk. So I want to just share a little bit of our story, my wife and I. There's my wife in the back. Can you wave, Amber? There's my wife. She's amazing. She should be up here speaking, but I'm going to do it anyways. Here we go. Um, but our stories, we, uh, we both grew up in uh, Christian families. Amber's parents uh, came to faith a little bit later in life, but um, both of our parents were believers. We grew up in the church. Amber's parents were pastors. And uh, as she likes to say whenever she gives her testimony, she likes to say when, when it comes to pastor's kids, they're either really good or they're really bad. She was the really bad one. <laughs> you know, she ran away. She did her own thing. She was the rebel, kind of went, got into the party scene, did all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and it was, uh, you know, as she got later into high school, uh, what she found in the church as she encountered things was just this, it wasn't a safe place for her. She was struggling and wrestling some things. It wasn't that she always wanted to be the rebel. She was struggling with some stuff. There was no safe space to talk about it. In fact, she was the one being talked about by everyone, having meetings about her and the way she's going sideways and all that kind of stuff. And so it really turned her off. And this is, the church is not a safe place to be able to wrestle with the hard things. For me, I grew up in the church and I was the good kid. I was the one who kind of tried to do all the good stuff when everybody was paying attention. Uh, when they weren't, I was just really quiet about my sin and my issues. But I saw the same thing in the church, and probably many of you have experienced the exact same thing. It's not a safe place to talk. When I walked in the door, it was like, blessings, brother. Let's be a good Christian, and we'll just put a good face on and try to cover up all the hard stuff. And so both of us had this experience like, man, I don't want to be a part of a church like that. I don't want to experience a church where I have to feel fake in any way, where I, have, I can't bring my whole self. Because I don't think that's the church that God intended for us. 
And my guess is most of us at some point in our life have been a part of a church that you felt that way. You felt like you could be authentic to a certain point and then you had to kind of just shut it down and find some other people that you could talk to. And so our desire was that we wanted to be a part of something different. And so we met each other in college actually. And uh, we, during my time in school, I actually uh, was an intern here at Cedar Valley. I interned for a year. And then I was brought on staff for 11 years. I served as a worship pastor here at Cedar Valley. My wife uh, also interned here at Cedar Valley, and she served in the youth area and, and uh, with women and a number of those things. We had an amazing time serving here the last three years when Pastor Neil Rich stepped in as a lead pastor here. I stepped in as the executive pastor here. My wife took over women's ministry here at Cedar Valley. So we had three years doing this. And so our time, we had 15 years here at Cedar Valley. And uh, when I first showed up as a worship leader, uh, you know, I was wearing the tie and the dress shirts and, and the culture was very, uh, very buttoned up culture. And it was, you know, it was a great church, great people. Um, but I would just say it wasn't a place where, where a person felt like they could totally be honest about where they are. And in the 15 years that we were here, that was part of us feeling like we need to help this church just kind of just break down some of the barriers that were maybe limiting its ability to minister in a world. And I think Pastor Neil has done an amazing job even in these last three or six years now that he's been here of helping bring that culture and shift that. But big ships take a long time to turn. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, the, it's just ingrained patterns just take some time. And so, um, so that was kind of the journey we were on. And so about three years ago, we were uh, asked um, by a church called Discover Church at the time. They were invited uh, to come talk to them uh, about potentially being a lead pastor. And uh, because of the story, we went, no, we want no part of what's going on there. If you don't know the story of Discover Church, amazing church with a long history, over 40 years, was actually planted by uh, Cedar Valley, formerly Bloomington Assembly. It was Prior Lake Assembly of God. Amazing church, had about two, was about 200, 250 people for a long period of time. About seven, eight years ago, a new pastor was in. Church was growing about 450, and there was a moral failure. And the church just obviously struggled significantly. And, uh, and a, a lot of challenges, went through a tough season. Another pastor came in. Great. There was some health, got some financial health, getting in a better place. And then he ended up moving on after about two and a half years. And the result was a church that was hurting, a church that was struggling. There was about 150 people there. And so when we got the call, it was like, I don't want any part of that. We don't want any part of that. But you know who called us? Clarence St. John. And, and has anyone been able to tell him no? Because I haven't. <laughs> so when he said, hey, would you come? And we said, you know what? We won't interview, but we'll have a conversation. And that conversation led to God ultimately ripping our hearts out and saying, this is where you're going. This is what we're calling you to. And so uh, if, any, if anybody needs to come in still, Reese, you want to come sit? It's okay, man. There's seats up here. It's great. Give it up for Reese. For being late. For being late. It's great. In the Air Force Reserve, if you're late, they make everybody in the room do push-ups. I'm sorry. Sound good? <laughs> There's not enough room. I'm sorry. The shame not. is enough. <laughs> so we stepped into uh, in our, to Discover Church. And uh, just to give you a picture of what it was like that we walked in, the very, this was the day that we were walking in. I was going to preach. And I'm in the door for three minutes. And a, an older lady in the church comes to me and says, yeah, I saw that you were at Cedar Valley. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, why would you want to come here? I said, I don't know if I want to come here now. You know, like that was just kind of where things were at. It was a bit challenged at the time. And so there were some amazing people there, amazing people praying and believing that held on that allowed us to get here. But it was, a, it was a challenge season. And so when we told people that we were going to discover, honestly, the response was, oh, 
Mm, we got that a lot from people, and it was like, oh, that's great. That's encouraging. <laughs> and we, we even went to, um, we met with the mayor uh, that summer. And just, a, it, was, uh, it was an interesting encounter. So how many know Brent Silkey runs 30 for Freedom? Great. Um, so he, uh, he was like, I want you to meet the mayor. I'm like, awesome. I want to meet the mayor. This is going to be good. He's like, I'm good friends with her. I'll set up a meeting so you guys can hang out together. I said, awesome. So we sit down. Brent's up at the counter getting the coffee, and she, the mayor sits down, and she's like, hey, so you're with 30 for Freedom? And we're like, uh, no, we're not 30, 30 for Freedom. We're pastors of a church here in the area. Oh, what's the church? I said, well, I gave her the new name, Zoe Church, um, formerly Discover, and she goes, oh. And I said, You've heard of it. <laughs> and, uh, and so it just, there was amazing things in the church. As I said, the, for, the interim pastor and, and the former pastor had done an amazing job of trying to bring help, but it was a place where there was just a lot of hurt and there was some pain and there was residue. And if any of you stepped into a church that's had some challenges, you know what that's like. There's residue and that residue continues to show itself at times. And it isn't like, oh, one day it's all gone. It's like, no, we're continuing the work. It's a, it's a journey you're on together. And so, so we got to begin this journey. And so as I shared, God put a verse on my heart, John 10, 10. And we know that thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And that word life is in the original Greek, zoe. It's the abundant, overwhelming, overflowing life that's only found in Christ. And so I felt God say, hey, this is going to be your new name. You need a new name, and it's not just to be kind of cool, and this is going to be fun for you. No, it's, this is a name, and then this is what we're, I'm going to do here. I believe I'm going to breathe new life into a place where the enemy has tried to steal, kill, and destroy. And you're going to see that happen in the lives of the people that come. That was what I sensed. And so I talked to the church about it. And, we, you know, we changed the name. And, again, the, the church had had three names already. So they're like, seriously, another name change. But we're like, hey, we're, we're planning not to let this kind of be a long-term thing, you know. So, and so, so when we came in, um, you know, it wasn't, we knew it wasn't going to be a quick fix for anything. Uh, we knew that one of the major things we had to work on was culture. We had to talk about culture. And so who are we going to be? What was it going to feel like? What were the people uh, desiring? And so this is what we focus on, and this is what we continue to focus on more than anything else. And that's what we're going to talk about at length. Uh, just so you understand, you know, over the last three years, God's done some amazing things. You know, the church, you know, within the first few months, we were running about 250. We're running about 800 right now. We had almost 600 at Easter. And it's, been a, it's truly been a God thing. We don't sit and say, oh, like we figured stuff out and we just got the secret sauce or anything. There's some things we've learned, but clearly God's doing a thing in our community and, and we're just excited about that. And so, so I'm going to say this because I've been in some of your shoes because my guess is there's some of you that are sitting in the room right now and you're like, dude, I'm in a church and there's like 50 people and I'm just barely hanging on right now. Hear me say this clearly, okay? I don't think we will know the greatness in the kingdom of God until the fullness of the kingdom is revealed one day. And I think some of the greatest pastors and leaders in our world are right now serving in obscurity and nobody knows about them. And that may be you. Like, I get to stand up here and tell you some stuff, but that's just because I've learned some things. That's not because I'm greater in the kingdom or that our church, no, you may be doing stuff greater than anything I'm ever doing. My, my life motto is success equals faithfulness. Success equals faithfulness. So wherever you are, are you being faithful to what God's put in your hands? If you are, cool, that's success. Doesn't matter what the results are. The results are in God's hands, not in our hands. Okay, and so I just want to be able to share that before we dig in, okay? So uh, when we arrived at our church, um, we couldn't afford much of anything, to be honest. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, I used to go to conferences like this, and maybe you can relate to this, and you think, oh, I'm going to learn some new trick or some new thing or something i got to buy or some tool or whatever. And, uh, you know, you'd come to places like this at Cedar Valley, like, this place is pretty amazing, especially the sanctuary. That, that sanctuary was my baby. Seven years ago, I was in charge of the renovation of that place. Like, I had every tool and every gadget in the world in that place. It's unbelievable. I'd put that against any room in this entire city. 
And then I went to the, the church that I had and we just didn't have any money. <laughs> like we, we just didn't. And I, I, I joke about it now that if I knew how bad it was uh, then, I might, we might not have said yes at that time because I, it was worse than we thought it was at the time. Um, but we look at the finance and we say, okay, uh, we can't really afford to buy much of anything. And, and the good news for that is that uh, the things that actually make for a magnetic church don't require money most of the time. Okay? The things that can make a difference don't require that. And so, uh, and so we're going to kind of dig into some of those things. And so our goal as we stepped into the church uh, was to be the kind of church that people just want to actually be a part of. And more specifically, the kind of church that, that we would want to invite people to. Amber and I, our goal was we want a church where her family that's unsaved, we would want to invite them. And, when our, and we could invite our neighbors to this church and they would find a place here. That's what we wanted. That's the kind of culture that we wanted to have as a church. And the cool thing is over the last several years is watching that happen over and over again. We've got four of our neighbors that are attending our church now and some of them were completely unchurched. And that's, that's exciting to me to be able to see that kind of stuff happen. And so, uh, and so the thing that we focus on, there's two things we're going to talk about. And so I would encourage you to take a few notes here. If you want, uh, you can feel free to email me at the end of this thing and I can email some detailed notes for you. Uh, but the first thing we look at is culture. What is culture? Uh, for the purposes of this conversation, I'm going to define culture as the sum of your behavioral norms, your beliefs, your values, your expectations, and the overall feel of your organization. I'll say it again. Your behavioral norms, your beliefs, your values, expectations, and the overall feel of your organization. Uh, this is what is the most important thing you can do as a leader is set your culture. Peter Drucker says this, some of you know this quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Some of you heard that quote before. And I would say this, that culture building must be your most important strategy. Culture building must be your most important build, uh, strategy. And so you have to decide what are your norms, what are your values. You have to decide what your church should look like and feel like. And I'm not talking about building aesthetics. Like buildings are great. And we'll talk about this. Your building does affect your culture. Okay, but that's not just what we're talking about here, okay? Um, we get fixated on what our building feels like, and a lot of times we forget about what our people feel like. And what your people feel like is way more important than what your building looks like. I've seen thriving churches and really crappy looking buildings, okay? Because the people feel amazing, and they can overcome some things. Like, you know, the, yeah, it'd be nice to have a nicer building. We can't always afford that. So, Okay, how can we deal it? I would even say right now, we have a nice structure, but our building is not very nice. There's a lot of things we need to do some renovating in this space, but the, the culture is so good that it compensates for the building right now. And, and I, I think that's what every one of us, that should be encouragement to all of us. Whatever you got, you can overcome some things, okay? And so uh, <clears throat> uh, I'm going to talk kind of a, a little bit later, but I, I just want to start here because I, we got a lot of leaders here in the building, and it's this. Your church cannot be what you do not embody. Okay, so when we talk about a culture, you say you, we're going to define a culture here in a moment. We're going to give some tips on those kinds. But you cannot be what you do not embody. If you say something but you don't live it, nobody else is going to believe it. It's not actually going to make any difference, okay? And so uh, it's a cool core uh, thing to start with. And so, um, so what kind of culture did we want? You might think, uh, I think a lot of us, we need to think, okay, do, are we thinking about a culture that church people want? Are we thinking about a culture that non-church people would want? And here's what I think. For the most part, when it comes to culture, most people want the same thing. Churched and unchurched people, for the most part, they want the same thing. It's not like music, okay? Because you know how music is in the church? Nobody wants the same thing, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody wants to fight about these things. I still think one of my favorite stories when I was a worship leader here at Cedar Valley, and obviously 
you know, I was a part of transitioning a church and I was the music pastor at the time. So I was transitioning some music things. And there was an there was a elder in the church at the time, and uh, an older gentleman. And I got off the stage. You know, I led back in the days there was these little slopes that walked off the stage, and then these little doors that would walk out. And I so I just led worship. Had a powerful time of worship. I walk off, open the door, and there's this elder standing in front of me. He's about six four. This big, and I'm, you know, I'm five seven, I'm, you know, a buck thirty five wet, and he's he's standing there, and he looks over at me, and he's like, "How dare you? You assaulted my wife." And I'm like, "I did what?" <laughs> like, <laughs> that music, you assaulted my wife, and I'm like, "Okay." And I thought the dude was gonna punch me, <laughs> and I, it was in that moment that I learned, "Hey, you're gonna have to be careful, because when it comes to the music kind of thing, everybody's a little touchy. Everybody's got their thing, you know. It's like, okay." All right, so, so music is a, is a thing where everybody's got their opinions. But when it comes to culture, for the most part, everybody kind of wants the same things. And, and so that's kind of the things we're going to dig into here a little bit, all right? And so I'm going to encourage you to take some notes here on this one, all right? So we're going to walk through, I'm going to go through seven different attributes that we talk about. And I'm going to give opportunity for some questions throughout this thing. And so you can uh, kind of think about those things, write those down if you want to a little bit later on. All right, first thing, what kind of culture is magnetic? Real. Real. And I will say that that word can be one of those that gets super overused and it kind of can be annoying like, oh, you're being real, let's be real, all those kind of things. But the essence of the word is still what most people are craving. Everybody is craving an authentic, non-artificial culture. Something that feels tangibly real. Like when I walk in the door, this doesn't feel fake to me. And, And why is that? Because nothing in our world seems real today. Like nothing seems real. Every person you encounter, you feel like, okay, what's your angle? What are you trying to get out of me here? What are you trying to do? Like you watch the news, you're like, I don't know what to believe or what what people are saying. I don't understand that you go to Instagram. How many of you love it when the girls put the filters on, right? And you're like, yeah, that's not what you look like, (laughs) right? I've seen you. There's more wrinkles in that picture, okay? But you're putting the filters on. Like nothing is real. And so what is real? And so people are desperately craving something that is real. And if there's one thing you can do in your church, is do everything possible to build a culture that feels tangibly real to the person that walks in the door. Like we know, all know, we all know, you know, kind of the, the church culture thing that doesn't feel real, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You want to, oh, blessings, brother, you know, I'll pray for you. This kind of culture, just like, this, just say spiritual things that don't mean anything, that doesn't really connect with the person's heart, that feels artificial. Like people don't want that. I think I've, I've seen pastors who, who try to be real and the way they are, you know, they're 50, 60 years old and they get frosted tips. You ever seen a pastor try to do that? Right? Like, I'm, look at me, I'm going to be hip. I'm like, yeah, that's not being real. Being, being tr- trying to be trendy or trying to act relevant is not what real is. Real is being real. Who are you? Like, who is God calling you to be? How has he shaped you? If re- How many think that Clarence St. John is real? I do. He is real. In his brown sport coat that he wears all the time, right? In his, his, his shoes and his baggy jeans, that's Clarence. And he's 100% himself. And you put him in front of 80-year-olds or you put him in front of 15-year-olds and they're all going to say that dude's real. So it's not about trying to be cool. It's about being who you are, genuinely who you are. Not a fake interpretation of yourself or an attempt to be what other people are thinking you should be. It is be a genuine self, Okay. And I, and I say that I hate the word relevant because, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's trying to be what, you know, I think relevancy is a lot of like what, trying to be what other people want. And you're like, well, this is magnetic church. Aren't we trying to be what other people want? But what other people want is you. Like you, just be you. 
That's what they want. They don't want to fake you. They don't want you trying to be the, the pastor down the block being cool. Or they don't want you trying to be Stephen Furtick. Go buy some, some expensive gym shoes and go to the gym and try to be Furtick. Don't do that. Just be you. Like, I can never be Furtick because I'm not going to have muscles that big. That's fine. Okay? So, uh, so one of our core values as a church, we've got three core values. And one of those is embrace the struggle. And uh, this one came out of uh, just a season that I was in. And, uh, and so embrace the struggle, we say this, we embrace the struggle. Number one, we embrace the struggle of life. Why? Because life isn't always easy. Sometimes it's hard. Things don't go the way that we want to. It's difficult sometimes. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. It doesn't make you more spiritual to ignore that and just pretend like, oh, everything's all great in my life. No, you can embrace the reality that life's hard sometimes. It's okay. In the same way, we embrace the struggle of faith. Because how many of you know sometimes faith isn't easy? Faith doesn't always go the way you want. Sometimes you're like, I know what I believe. I know what I believe. And then you come up against something really hard in your life. And you're like, oh, shoot, I don't know what I believe anymore. And you need to wrestle it. And here's why this, this kind of phrase came out. Because I went through a season specifically, and Amber and I both had this, where there was a number of young adults who we had seen like grow up in the church loving Jesus. And suddenly they were asking questions of faith. And here's what they came to me saying. They said, Greg, I think I need to leave for a while and figure some stuff out. And then maybe I'll be back. And I thought to myself, Jesus, what have we done that we've created a culture in the church where people can't wrestle their faith in the context of a community that loves them? They have to leave to figure their stuff out and then come back. And so our desire as a church is to build a culture where we can embrace all that. Listen, you wrestling stuff, you got hard stuff going on, come here. We're going to do that together. We'll wrestle this stuff together. We'll embrace it together. And I had, hear this, when we put this out, Amber, I had a few church people who didn't like this, but... Craig, we are victors in Christ. We are vic- I said, you're right, we're a victor in Christ. But sometimes life is cruddy. And you can be honest about that. You don't have to fake that. But if, if you're low, I've got to be a victor. I can't ever talk about the hard stuff. You've just said, said, you know what? Nobody can talk about any of the hard stuff going on in their life. You go talk about that somewhere else, but not in here. We're like, we're not going to be that kind of a church. And I had some of those people that said, you know what? This isn't a place for me. I said, okay. Because there's plenty of people out there that desperately need this kind of environment and they'll, they'll probably come because <laughs> they want somewhere where they can be honest about what they got going on in life, okay? And so when it comes to this type of culture, I think this is the number one thing. And the starting point for build, building a real culture is you. And the queen of this is my wife. Those who didn't know, wave, wave again, Amber, because like half the room filled up. There's my wife, Amber, over there. Okay, my wife is the queen of this. All right, there is nobody that lives more authentically in front of other people than my wife. She does not lead with her strength. She leads with her weakness. She leads with, hey, here's, wh- here's where it is. This is what I've got going on. Here's what I'm struggling. You follow her on social media, sometimes you'll see pretty po- pictures. And sometimes you see, here's the garbage that we're going through, something that we're struggling with. You know, when she talks about things, she's just like, here's the raw. She tells her story all the time. Why? Because God's redeemed some of the garbage from her past. And as she's able to talk about it, it sets a safety net for other people to talk about the same things. And, and I try to follow her lead to say, how can we be as real as we possibly can? Because you cannot build a real culture if you are not real. You just can't. Like if you feel artificial to your church, especially lead pastor, you get up there. If you are not telling your weaknesses from that stage on a regular basis, the church does not think it's safe to talk about the things they're struggling with. I don't get up in front of the church and try to talk about all the good things. Guess what? We just started a relationship series on Sunday again. Guess what I said? Before we start this relationship series, let's all recognize I still screw this thing up on a regular basis, okay? And and my wife said amen louder than anyone in the room at that time. And I said, okay, so we're all going to just recognize that I'm with you on this. So what we're all going to do together is we're going to come to the Word of God together and we're going to see how can we get better and all of us are going to try and get better. 
Like that's what I do. And how do we bring our whole self in front of the congregation? Because I know when I grew up in church, I thought the pastor was like, oh, they're all perfect and they got their stuff together. And that's what people inherently believe. They still believe that. You have to work extra hard to help them understand that you're a normal human being who deals with the garbage and they want that. They crave that, okay? So, uh, so I'm going to just kind of give you a couple practical things. Here's seven quick things, ways that you can help uh, stay real in your culture. Number one, don't use platitudes. Be normal. Okay, talk normal. Say normal things. I actually will, I'm, I'm actually a good writer. Um, and, and, I, and I can write well, I could speak well. I speak far more matter-of-factly than I would naturally do sometimes just because I want to break down any barrier to, to anybody thinking that I've just got all my stuff together and I'm using fancy words. Like, I know I'm going to be as, as connect, to connect with people as well as I possibly can be. You know, some people, they, the KJV prayers, you know the KJV prayers, right? Thou was heavenly father of, you know, bountiful blessings, do amazing things, whatever. Like, just don't do that. Don't talk like that. Talk normal, and you have to get every single person. Because how many of you ever had a volunteer step up on the stage, and suddenly they start trying to talk spiritual from the stage? Like, okay, you're being awkward now, okay? Like, you have to coach every single person. And then I've got young guys sometimes on the team that, like, they, they watch the Stephen Furtick's and some of these other preachers, and, like, and then they get up on the stage, and then they want to be that. I'm like, woo-hoo-hoo, stop. Be yourself. Like, don't be that. Be yourself, okay? Second thing, writing is like talking. Okay, so some of you are like, I talk normal, but then when I go to write things, I, you know, I, I write perfectly scripted things. You know what I do when I write emails or letters or things to the congregation? I write super casually to them. Not because I'm not a good writer, because I could write these really nice letters in those, but I write in a super casual way where it feels conversational. Why? Because that will influence our culture. What I want is that however you dice up our church, you're always going to get this real authentic vibe coming from who we are because I don't want to ever feel like we're putting on some show for anyone, okay? Third one, avoid the feeling of a show. Avoid pretense, okay? What does that mean? That means when uh, I, I was a worship guy for 11 years, I'm really good at production, okay? I put on big productions here. Like I could put on big shows and we got all the stuff. I could do all that stuff. Uh, Jeff, you know, how many know Jeff Kerr, Pastor's uh, Homestead? He was, the, he was the worship guy at River Valley for years. He's great at production as well. Now both of us who are formal production guys are now lead pastors, and we joke all the time that, like, we run away from production now. We do everything we can to avoid anything that would feel like a show to give any unnecessary pretense to people because we, what we want is them to feel natural. And so one of the first months that really drove into us, uh, one of the first couple months that we were at the church, Amber and I were doing announcements on a Sunday morning. We got everybody in the room, and, uh, and I totally forgot what the announcement was, right? Just totally forgot. And, and the piece of paper sitting on the front row, you know, that has the piece of paper, and I'm like, talk amongst yourself for a second. I'm going to go get my piece of paper. I go down and get the piece of paper, come up, explain the announcement, whatever. This couple, it was their first time. They were in their 30s at the time. They, they came up to me afterwards. Like, we're sitting there, and when you did that, my wife said, this is a place I could be at because it just felt like you weren't putting a show on. And I'm like, yep. And we both said in that moment, we're going to just keep fighting. Like, be us. So when we were running 250 and now running 800, we don't look any more slick today than we did before. Like, do we want to be good? Yeah. Do we want to have consistent issues? No. But we don't want to make it look like we're putting a show on because that's not what people want. For the most part, people want to feel like they're a part of a real community. And everything you do affects that. Everything you do will affect your culture. Every decision you make, every word you speak will affect that. All right? Number four. Oh, and, and I'll, just, I'll just give you, the, this, is not, this is just a personal thing that we made a decision on. This is not to make a blanket statement for anybody else. But we made a decision. We interviewed a bunch of young adults 
uh, in that first summer. We, we did some interviews to get perspectives of both believers and non-believers just to say, okay, what's your perspective for the church? What are the things that you want? What, you know what we heard? It was like 18 of the 20 conversations. They hated hazers in a church. Anybody know what a hazer is? It's the thing that makes the lights look cool. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's a little smoke in the, in the room because it makes the lights look awesome. I love hazers. They look awesome. But I said, you know what? Even the atheist people thought the hazer was ridiculous. And so I just decided, you know what? We're just not going to have a hazer. Even though I love hazers, they look super cool. But we decided, okay, we're just not going to do that because it was breaking down some level of our, just this real culture. And so I'm like, all right, we just won't do that then. That's fine. Make decisions around what matters to you, even in the little things, okay? Uh, number four, and, and I'll say this, know that your clothing will affect your culture, okay? Now, I will say clothing is just like music. Clothing, everybody has a perspective because I could, I could you know, survey the room and some of you are like, yep, you should be really dressed up on a Sunday because that's honoring to the Lord. And that's great if you feel that way. Some of you say it doesn't really matter what you do. That's great. You need to make a decision. Just understand that your clothing does influence your culture to some extent. And the culture that we live in has gotten increasingly informal in the way that we dress. We've gotten increasingly casual, especially during COVID because everybody just wore sweat, sweatpants for two years, right? Like nobody, nobody even owns stuff. I go to funerals now and no, like I'm the one wearing a suit and nobody else even owns a suit. You know, like the culture is just more casual. And so we've been very intentional about that. You know, when the first couple of months there were, you know, obviously um, my wife got up with a, pair, with a pair of jeans that had some holes in it and I got some love notes for that one. That's great. And I said, sorry, we're going to continue to have holes in the jeans, so sorry. I don't know what you want me to do about that. Because Why? Because I was not dressing for the people who, who get annoyed because there's a hole in the jean. I'm dressing for the person who's walked in the door and has never been there before. So when I walked up, I, I, I preach in jeans. I'll wear this to preach in, I'll, whatever. Uh, I was wearing jeans and a T-shirt about a month and a half into being at the church, and a guy uh, walked into the church. He had been out of jail for five days. And he walked into the church and we had coffee that next week. And he said, Greg, when I saw you walk up there with gym shoes and a t-shirt, I said, I could fit in here. I said, awesome. That's, what, that's who I'm dressing for. I'm not dressing for anybody else. And, uh, and so just know that you can make a decision for yourself. Uh, it may not be the same decision I made, um, but I just know that it will affect things. Okay. And number five is this, and it's a really just a question. Do you want your culture to be formal or informal? Do you want your culture to be formal or informal? You got to decide that. Certain traditions, especially certain uh, uh, denominational, is a little more formal. Just understand that if you have a formal culture, it's, it inherently is not going to feel as authentic. And so you're going to have to work extra hard to overcome some of that in other areas of your church to have an authentic feel and a real feel to feel like they're connecting with you. For us, we've just chosen to have a very informal culture about everything that we do. We have very clear systems. But our, the way that we interact with everyone intentionally is informal because we're trying to connect with people on the most relational level possible. Six is, is critical. Be as transparent as you can be. Be as transparent as you can be. You know, some churches tend to only want to talk about things when it's going well. Or they only want to give numbers if things are going well. Or they give numbers, but they sometimes will fudge the numbers to make it look a little better than it is. And I will say this. The moment you start fudging anything is the moment you are losing trust with your church. And if you want to build a culture where people actually say this is a real authentic place, then tell the truth all the time. If it's going well, be honest about it. <laughs> if, it if it's not, you may have to have some discretion, but be honest about it. You know, for us, if I give a number, you can 
you can guarantee the number is higher than what I gave you. Because I tell our church all the time, I never want a number to be a false number. When I say we had 1,573 people on Easter, I guarantee you there was a little bit more than that. But I'm never going to give you a fake number. Because I, I just don't, people don't trust people that don't speak honestly. And so being as transparent as you can with your congregation, as often as you can, is the best way to build that sense of realness and authenticity. They're going to begin to trust you in a better way, okay? Last one is... Uh, is pursue integrity. You can't pretend to be real. Okay? Like you can't pretend to be real. So it, you're like, oh yeah, we're going to have a real culture, so I'm going to be real. And Okay, no. Like you are either real or you're not. So bring your whole self wherever you are. And, and you might need some people in your life to call you out on, hey, hey you're acting fake here. Hey, you're, look, you're kind of putting a show on here. You're, you're using spiritual stuff here and like that's not how you talk. You might need to have some people. My wife is really good at telling me when I do that, okay? <laughs> Steph laughs. <laughs> Steph knows my wife as well as anybody, so. <laughs> but she doesn't let me get away with stuff. And you need the people in your life that are going to tell you, hey, you're acting stuffy. You're acting like that doesn't feel real to me. You would never talk like that normally. You would never act that way. We need that because if we don't have people catching us up on that, uh, we're going to live lives that aren't authentic, and, and that's not what we want, Okay. All right, so the number one, culture, real. Number two, relational. And that was the longest one, so don't worry. Everything else can move a little faster. Second one, relational. Culture that is relational. Our world is struggling relationally, right? Problem has been building for years, and it's only gotten worse during COVID. Statistics are killing us right now when it comes to relationship. How, many, how few people actually have meaningful relationships in their life. And if you want to be a magnetic church, you have to build a relational church. One thing, you have to love people. If you're going to be the leader... You have to love people. I know lots of pastors, they get annoyed with people and they don't act like that. Listen, I'm not a relational person by nature. Like, I'm an introvert. How many other introverts are in the room? Okay, awesome, right? I'm an introvert. Like, that's, I'm not wired to be this, like, hyper, like, my wife is like the buzzing bee, like, just going around. She's the extrovert, loving, all, like, for me, it's work. But I can still love people. Like, just because I'm not having fun all the time while I'm doing it doesn't mean that I can't stop and care for people, be concerned about people, focus on their lives, and love them genuinely. The more you do that, the more you will be building a culture of people that are like that. Okay? Our staff, one of the things I tell our staff all the time is I care more about you than what you do for me. Yeah. I care more about you than what you do for me. Now, and when I hire them, I say, I'm hiring all of you. Like, I'm hiring... What you do for me, the 40 hours a week or however many hours you work, 80 hours, however, whatever the week looks like. Or, but I'm also hiring all the other stuff. And sometimes I know the other stuff can affect what you've got going on here. And you hear this, I care about all of you, okay? And I want to help and I want to be a part of your life and all of that. And when it comes to the congregation, we can't just care about our volunteers in a, hey, what can you do for me? I remember having a volunteer here that was struggling at one point when I was here at Cedar Valley. She was my only piano player, right? And she was in a tough season. And and when I said what I was about to say, I knew that we weren't going to have a piano player. And I said, you need to take a break for a few months. She's like, Greg, what are you going to do? There's nobody else here. I'm like, you're right. It's God's church. He'll take care of us. You need, you need to be taken care of. And if you will care for people and actually build an environment where you care and relate to people on a deep level, they'll know it. Okay? They'll know it when you really love them. And the more you do that, like I, I feel lots of things. And I, in all of my ministry... I mean, Amber's watched it. Steph's watched it. She's served alongside of me. I've had lots of deficiencies in ministry, but I don't think there's anybody that's, that served with me that, that wouldn't say, I know Greg cared about me. 
I know that he loved me. I know that he wanted what was best for me. And so hopefully as we do that, if you want to build a culture where people are around, that's what you have to focus on. And so <clears throat> um, I say this all the time. People want to be a family. They don't just want another event to come to. Because you might put on a really good show. Like let's say our church, we put on great worship and great preaching. Let's say we do that. Somebody will come for two to three months for that. And then after that, if they don't have a friend, they're going to stop coming. If they haven't feel like they're a part of the community, they're going to stop coming. I read an article just recently, maybe some of you have read that, that, it, that it talked about a lot of times in the church we're focusing on all these other things. We have all our ministries and systems and all this kind of stuff. But one of the greatest needs that people have is just a friend. And that's the thing that will cause them to come back. And if we spent more of our energy trying to create ways for people to become friends and to meet other people in the congregation, it would solve a lot of the problems that we have. Right? Can I give a testimony to that? Yeah. There was um, a church I was at quite a number of years ago, and I served as like the connector on the women's ministry, and we did a brunch. It was just tables for eight. We had four people that were normally from the church and four visitors. We tried to connect up the four people from the church that were there with four people that were new to the church, just women, right, uh, based on kids' ages and things like that. We had 100% of those people stay. Yeah. Yep. Okay? And it yeah. just took two hours on a Saturday morning. Yep. It was so effective, and it, it just yep. it was amazing. It's so, tr it's so true. Relationship is one of the greatest magnetisms that you'll possibly have. So if people feel like they got friends here, that's why they're staying, you know. They'll put up with bad preaching. They'll put up with bad worship. They'll put up with a lot of crappy stuff if they got a friend there, you know. So, cool. All right, let's go. Uh, third thing, more than relational, culture that is fun. Okay, what do people talk about church? Full of hypocrites. You can deal with that by number one, be real. The second one is that it's boring. Okay, and sometimes it's boring not because... Because they don't like real, they're like, they don't understand. They don't like the spiritual stuff. No, we're just boring sometimes, okay? Like our gatherings can just be boring. Our preaching can be boring. Our experiences can be boring. Like it's okay to have fun. And so for us, we do everything we can to like infuse a little bit of fun into things. Our, our environment is fun. Like if you show up to our church in the morning, it, there's a buzz around there. There's, there's fun. There's gatherings. Everything feels like this relational environment. We'll do things. We do dumb games and services at times just for no other reason, no spiritual purpose whatsoever, but just to have a little bit of fun in the service. We'll give things away for no other reason, but just to have a little bit of fun. You know, we'll, we'll make fun of each other. We constantly, all of our, all of my staff knows I'm going to make fun of them. They're going to, they can make fun of me. That's totally fine. We're not going to be offended. Why? Because we just want to have fun and, and keep things light so we don't have an environment that feels stuffy. And that's what people want. If people walked into your doors and they feel like, man, this place is fun, they're probably going to want to come back. So ask yourself, if you walked into your church for the very first time, would you say that this place seems fun? If it doesn't, well, then you might want to work on that. You might want, because the, the new person definitely is not going to think it's fun if you don't think it's fun, okay? Because they don't know all your people. They don't know all the people that they, like, they have no connection to your place. So think about, what can we do to make this place a little more fun? Have a party. Food is fun. Always have food. We do little cheap things that don't even cost a lot of money. Like in the summer, like throughout the summer, every three or four weeks, we'll just buy something for everyone when they walk out the door. So like we do, we do um, um, what are the ICs? Freezies. Freezies cost nothing. They're like a nickel each, whatever. So we just buy boxes of freeze. Everybody gets a freezie when they walk out the door. Well, what does it do? Suddenly, when people have food in their hand, they're fun. It's like, yay. It costs us like 10 bucks, 15 bucks. You can do that every Sunday during the summer and just kind of keep it light. It just changes the environment of your place. You do that with ice cream. We did that with little cheapo ice cream things, whatever. And like, there's just things that you can do to make things fun. Make it feel more like a party. It doesn't, like, sacred does not mean boring, okay? 
And some people are like, oh, you're, you're defiling the house of the Lord. Well, you're the house of the Lord, so you understand that, right? The building is not the house. Like, you are the house of the Lord. Like, he resides in you, okay? And so you can have fun in the building where you gather to worship the Lord. You can have fun doing that, okay? Now, you may, have, you may say, you know what? We're not going to do that in the sanctuary. Great. You can do it in the lobby. You can do it out in the, in the parking lot. Whatever you want to do. Have fun. Find ways to have fun, okay? All right, uh, number four, engaged. A culture that is engaged. A group of owners. A magnetic church has a culture that is pulling people in, okay? Passivity kills culture. Passivity kills culture. If you got people in your church and they just sit there, what do they become? Critics and entitled members. Okay? And that kills your culture. When you got people just sitting around like, what are you doing for me? What are you? No, 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 no. You're not going to sit on your butt. What are you doing? How are you going to get involved? How are you constantly pulling people in? So one of our other core values are, is, remember three of them. One of them is we are the church. We don't go to church. We don't do church. We are the church. Church isn't a building. Church isn't an event. It's you and me. And so every one of us, when I get up there every single week, every single month, we do next step class. And it's with our new people trying to engage them. And I say this, listen, if you are looking for a church to come check in for an hour and then go about your business all week long, this isn't the church for you. You should go find somewhere else to go. Okay, if you're going to come here, you are joining a family and you're going to be a part of what's going on here because that's how we operate. And what's cool is every time I say that, I don't see people say, oh, how rude that he would say that. I say, like, yeah, like I can see their demeanor change. Like I get to be a I get to be a part of something? Yeah, that's what we're expecting for you. That's what we want for you because God's best for you is not you and your personal relationship with Jesus. His intention was that you would have a faith in the context of community and everybody's naturally craving that, okay? And so by allowing people to get engaged, get it for us, the first step for people is to serve. It isn't to try and get them into a group or to do something else. How can you come serve? And you might say, that seems weird. Well, the reason is because the moment they begin to engage that way, they naturally get the relational opinions. They start to meet people, all that kind of stuff, but they start to take ownership of the place and they don't become a critic who's sitting there judging everything they're suddenly invested in this place okay and it absolutely will change your culture uh, one of the things practically we do so we do uh wednesday night sessions every once in a while we don't have a custodial crew like when i was here at cedar valley we had this awesome custodial crew they would set everything up we don't have any of that stuff so so when we do we do our events you know, we set all the chairs, the staff would set all the things up ahead of time. But at the end of the night, I'm like, this is going to take forever for the staff. So I just make everybody tear everything down and do all the reset and everything. Well, now we've gotten bigger and it's a lot that we have to do. And, and we have a big enough team now probably that we could do the teardown the next day. And I said, no, we're going to keep making everybody do this every single week. And so everybody does set up teardowns, all this kind of stuff. Why? Because I want them to have this culture that says, I am involved. I'm a part of things. I'm not sitting and watching things. I'm doing things. And so don't, don't make everything easy for everybody allow people to be a part of it because they'll feel an ownership that they wouldn't have otherwise. All right. Number five, culture that is generous. Culture that is generous. This is who we should be. Like we are called as kingdom people to be generous people. And so if you come off as stingy, if you come off as somebody who's only about your kingdom and only talking about your church and what you've got going on, people do not want to be a part of your church because they think you're building your own kingdom. There's enough Pastors out there that feel like they're just building their own little kingdoms out there. They want to be a part of something that's going on in the world. So for us, we are constantly talking about how can we invest in other people? How are we supporting other things? How can we give away? How can we be generous with our people and with our resources? Okay, because some churches are like, yeah, we'll be generous with our, our, our resources, but we're never going to be generous with people. You know, anytime that we can offer, I want to be able to do that. Because I believe reciprocity, you will reap what you sow. If you are willing to have open hands, that, that, will, that will, is not only are you going to be blessed for that, but people are going to see that type of culture and want to be a part of that culture. You don't want to be around somebody who only cares about themselves. We just don't. And so you want to be magnetic. That's it, generous. Number six, this seems weird, but a culture that is clear. 
culture that is clear. What do I mean? One of the biggest frustrations people have is a lack of understanding of what's going on. You ever, you ever had it where people are like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. You don't ever talk to us. You don't ever explain things to us. What's happened? I don't feel like I know what's going on. I'm not on the insider. Great. Be clear then. Number one, be clear with your processes, your systems. You have to have clear processes. Like what's it? somebody wants to get involved, how do they do that? Is it clear? Do you have a system? Because if you don't, it's like, yeah, you got to, maybe you email, no, I'll call this, maybe you could do this. I don't, I'm not really sure how you should get involved. Okay, make it clear. So it's the best way to have a place that's magnetic because then they're like, oh, I know how I can get involved. Be clear about your communication. Again, the biggest frustration I would hear, especially here at Cedar Valley all, the, all of these years, was so often like, we don't know what's happening. You guys never explain things to us. I'm like, okay. So I, we try to be as clear. I try to send emails. When I, I talk almost every week from the pulpit, I'm re-explaining something to the church to make sure they understand things. And they still don't get it all the time. But constantly, you, you know what I'm talking about as pastors. But be as clear as you, like work hard at being clear all the time. Because that's something that people actually want to be a part of. And the last one is uh, have clear expectations. Have clear expectations for your volunteers, for your tenders, for your members. Have expectations of what, what do you expect of them. And talk about it. Communicate those things. Because people like to know those things. If they don't know what the expectations are, they get frustrated. And the way you alleviate frustration is, is close the gap between what people expect and what they know. Okay. All right, number seven. And uh, this is the last one for a culture is spiritually challenging. A culture that is spiritually challenging. I think that... Um, the relevance, the desire to be relevant actually was one of the worst things for the church. Because for years we focused on trying to be relevant to people. And I don't think it's all bad. But the result is in, when you're trying to be relevant or trying to preach in a relevant manner, we're only going to say things that are relevant or connect with the, what they want. Well, then you don't talk about anything that's, that might, you know, push on them, might challenge them, might make them feel uncomfortable. And the problem is now we've gone 20 to 30 years of doing that. And a lot of people like in my church is like, I've never heard a sermon on this. I've never heard anything. I'm like, these are really, these are like core basic things you, you should have taught, should have heard at some point in the church. And so, so for us, I want to say, okay, how are we consistently spiritually challenging people? How is this an environment where we are constantly challenging people in their faith walk? When they walk in the door and they like, they can get anything anywhere else. The only thing that you can give them that they can't get anywhere else is spirit, like being taught the word in the context of a community that's there to pray and, and encourage them. Because they can get preaching on a podcast as well. Like they don't need to listen to your preaching. Okay? But you can give them an environment that they walk in and they feel like they're being challenged, they're being pushed, they're being encouraged. And that's what people are craving. When they come, they want to grow. They aren't showing up just for the, they are showing up because they want to grow in their faith. Help them. Challenge them. Push them. Don't be afraid of those things. Okay? And so uh, we'll, uh, we'll wrap that up, just kind of some of the culture things. I'm just going to give you four steps. How do you do this? Okay? How do you do this? I, number one, you already know. Live it. You want to build that kind of a culture? You have to live it. Whatever the culture is, the cult culture will ultimately be a reflection of you. The church, it looks like Amber and I, and it's only going to look more and more like us. And so if we don't like what our church looks like, then we're going to have to start asking, do we like what we're living? <laughs> Are we being what, we're, what we say we want? Okay? And so you have to live it, number one. Okay? But it's not just you. Your leaders have to live it. The people that you call as the spiritual leaders, your staff, or just other volunteer leaders, if they are living in a way that's contrary to the culture that you want, then you're going to have to challenge that because you're never going to build the culture that you desire unless everybody that's in leadership is actually living this way and pushing that ball down the field. Okay? Second thing is you've got to teach it. 
You can't just live it. You do also have to teach it. You have to teach people what this is about. And so for us, we talk about our culture directly or indirectly all the time. Everything that I'm doing, every sermon that I'm preaching, there's even elements of me teaching the culture by the way I'm communicating, by the way that we talk. As I said, every decision, every decision, what am I going to wear? Easter Sunday morning, I bought this sweet suit. I hadn't bought a suit in years, okay? And I went, I'm like, I want to buy a sport coat. Awesome. So I bought this new sport coat. I haven't bought one in a decade. And the pants were only a buck more. And I was like, sweet. And this outfit looked awesome. I'm like, I want to wear that on Easter. And then I said, that'll kill our culture. Because that is not who we are. Like we aren't buttoned up, wear a whole suit on Easter Sunday morning kind of people. And I don't want the newbie who walks in this door to have a misunderstanding of who we are as a culture. So I threw jeans on with my sport coat. And then I made a joke when I got up there and said, I got my sport coat on everybody. Once a year, I put a sport coat on. Take a picture if you want to. This is it, you know, because that's not, I want to make sure that we are focused on who we are and the culture. You have to fight for it. Every decision you make will impact that. So you got to teach it. You got to talk about it. You got to challenge people to it, okay? Third thing. So we live it. We teach it. We celebrate it. You have to celebrate your culture. The things that are good. When people do what you want, then celebrate it. Make a big deal about it. When somebody is, you know, is being real and authentic and they're being vulnerable in a moment, celebrate that moment. Celebrate it. Share the stories. Do those kind of things so that you are celebrating the things that you want. You will, you will get what you celebrate. Okay? And the fourth thing, and this is the one some of us don't like, and that's enforce it. Okay? Enforce it. If it's really the culture you want, then there are going to be times where you're going to have to enforce that culture. Where you're going to have to call somebody out. You're going to have to call out one of your fellow team members. You're going to have to call out that leader in the church because they're, they're impeding on the culture that you know God is calling you guys to. And there's no way around it. Sometimes you're going to have to call, you know, somebody may have to call you out. I tell, I tell my wife, I tell other staff, if you see stuff, talk about it. Like, we can't just, like, sit on it. We have to talk about the thing because we all are going to fail. We're all going to take this the wrong way, but you have to be willing to do that, okay? Uh, uh, Doug Vogley, how many know Doug Vogley up in, uh, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> He talked about this. One of his things is that he likes to lightly offend regularly. Okay? And I stole that. Like, if there's something you don't want, he said this. Like, I don't, he's like, I don't want flag people in my church. So I mock flag people every once in a while. Just to make sure if anybody's getting a whiff that they should make a flag, they know this ain't the place to bring it. Right? And I do the same thing. Like, I will lightly offend from the stage. Not directly, but I'll make an offense. Like, early on, I made some comments about our clothing from the pulpit just in a joking manner to help everybody know this is who we're going to be, okay? I make comments about other things when it comes to culture, about us being real and authentic. Listen, if you're looking for a church where your pastor, they look like they got it all together, this ain't your church. You're going to have to find a different church because we're going to, you're going to tell you where we're, we're awful at things, where we mess stuff up. We talk about those things because when you, if you lightly offend and just allow that, then you're going to reinforce uh, the culture that you really want, okay? All right, I'm going to, I've got, we're done? Nope, I'm going to take five more minutes, Mark. I, they took my five minutes. I got five minutes. Ready? We're going fast. Ministry focus, because this is the stuff I'm most passionate about. Number one, what do you need to focus on? Preach the dang word. Okay? Preach the word. Okay, the most depressing compliment I get is this. I love how you preach from the Bible. I hate that that's a compliment I get. And I get it almost every week from somebody. It drives me crazy because what does that say? You've been to a lot of churches where they're not preaching the Bible. 
Like, open the dang word and preach from it. Don't get up with your philosophies and your ideas. Open the word and preach it. You want a magnetic church? People are craving. The number one thing people want in a church is they want someone to teach the word to them. That's the, they've done research. They want someone to teach them the Bible. That's why they go to church. So then do it. Open the word. What do I do? My philosophy is I open the word every week. I stand up, we read a text, and then I'm going to preach it. I wouldn't say I'm verse by verse. I'm, I'm section by section, but we walk through books of the Bible. I, we just finished 14 weeks through the second half of the book of Mark. I had preached the first half of the book of Mark for 14 weeks, so we did like 24. He would have probably, you know, Mike might have done like 73 weeks in the book of Mark or something. That's fine. But... But, I, but we preach through the word. Why? Because I'd rather start, what does God have to say? And let's apply that to our lives rather than saying, we're just going to figure things out and just try and cherry pick some verses to try and meet those things. Now, I know everybody has a different philosophy. You preach it however you want to. But my, my just heart is that we need to go, what does God's word have to say? And then let's reveal that and apply that to our lives. Okay, so every time, no matter what you do, even if you're going to be a topical, you should start with what does the word of God have to say? Okay, what is he saying? and then applying that to the topic or whatever that you're dealing with, as opposed to the other way around. I have a topic, and let me just see if I can find something to support that. Okay? People desperately need the Word of God, and sometimes that's even light. Some people, it just feels like a TED Talk. We don't need TED Talks. We need the living, breathing Word of God. Our people desperately, desperately need that, okay? And so I get up, I hold a Bible. I, I preach with a Bible in my hand. Why? Because I want them to visually see a Bible, that this is what matters, okay? And so when it comes to preaching, I say, prepare hard, preach hard. You should spend time. Don't go up there. If, they, if you haven't been spending time in the Word of God and in prayer, bring something of value. They desperately need it. And preach your guts out. Don't be afraid to hard, say the hard things. Like you might say, oh, Greg must have a little soft church up there because they're growing and they're just preaching, tickling people's ears. No, I preach hard. I preach challenging messages. And I, because I, we just did Mark, I just preach Jesus' words. Man, he'll kick your butt every single time. But do that because people go like, that's what I need. I need something real. I don't get that anywhere else. Nobody else is challenging me with hard things. And so I just want to inspire some of you. Don't be afraid. Don't think, oh, if I want to have a growing church, then I need to be. No, no. Like preach the hard stuff. Trust me, God is, is magnetic. He will take care of it. Okay? His word is still vital. It is still impacting your lives. Okay? And I'll just say this as a, as a general thing. If any of you, you know, I'm very passionate about preaching. If that's something you need help or encouragement in, I'll give you my email, greg at zchurch.org. I'm happy to give some encouragement or some coaching or any of those kind of things if you want help on that side of things. Okay? Uh, two last things, or uh, three last things. Two, provide a, a gathering worth driving for. Provide a gathering worth driving for. How many know everybody can get everything online? So, so if all you're doing in person is the same thing they could get online, why would they drive? So there's something about your gathering that should be b better or more robust than what they get online. If all they're getting is a little singing, a couple announcements, and a nice little 30-minute sermon, they can get that online. So if you want people to actually come to your building, and I'm not getting into the, the hybrid models and all those different things, that's all that's for sure the case. We've got online, all that stuff. But I still think the best thing is to be in the room with other believers challenging one another. And so if you're going to do that, then give experiences. You better dig in. There should be times of altar. There should be times where people are praying for one another. There should be something about your environment that says, this is worth the drive, okay? Otherwise, they're not going to drive in, okay? Third thing, minister to felt needs. Find what your church needs and meet it. You know, in our area, it was foods. So we got a market day. We've got, we've got a recovery ministry that we just launched. We launched a marriage ministry to very specific felt needs. Rather than just doing things that you think you like, find out what your community needs and lean into those things. Uh, and the and, uh, last thing I'll just say is, since we're out of time, I'll just say this. I'll give you one little nugget um, when it comes uh, to social media. 
Okay, this is a total diversion because I just skipped about a half a page. Uh, we talked about culture earlier. Your social media is a reflection of your culture. So what you see on your social media should reflect what you want your culture to be like. In too many churches, when it goes to their social media, what does their social media look like? It looks like um, ads for events. That's what their social media account looks like. And I don't think that's actually going to be that. When, if people want to explore your church, if a young person under the age of 40 wants to know what your church is like, they're going to go follow your social media and they're going to make a judgment about what your culture is like based off what they see on your social media. Okay? And so, so think that way. Think what, does, what, kind, what is my social media presenting when it comes to our culture? So for us, if you, you go look at our social media, you get a feel for what our church is like. You don't see a bunch of announcements for what's going on. You feel what our church is like. And I think that's the best way to leverage social media for the sake of uh, being the kind of place that people want to be a part of. Because some of you have magnetic churches already, but you look at your social media and nobody would know it because it doesn't reflect who you really are. And I think that's the best use of social media to make a difference. Okay, again, total, total diversion from what we were actually talking about, but thought that could help somebody. All right, we're out of time.